Hello and welcome to The Unseen Shows, a new podcast series by Visual Artists Ireland. My name is Joanne Laws and I am Features Editor of the Visual Artists Newsheet. This podcast series features interviews with artists whose exhibitions are currently sealed behind closed doors due to the closure of all cultural venues in March in response to the coronavirus pandemic. The continued absence of physical encounters with art in public spaces has prompted us to think of other ways of communicating with artists about their work. We felt that the distinctive pace and sensibility of the audio format would provide a welcome break from the excessive screen time that many of us are experiencing during lockdown. Given that we decided to disseminate these podcasts without accompanying visuals or moving image, technically these exhibitions will remain unseen. However, we hope these conversations will illuminate in other ways, making visible the rich inquiries that underpin each artist's wider practice. Naturally, all of these artist interviews are being conducted remotely. Therefore, we haven't been able to achieve studio standard sound quality. The first podcast in the series features an interview with Mark Gary, whose solo exhibition, Songs and the Soil, opened at the Mac in Belfast in January. I spoke to Mark in early April via Zoom, just before the scheduled closure of his show. So uh, I suppose I could ask you first about your exhibition in the Mac. Um, I was actually devastated not to see it myself. I was planning to do a trip to Belfast around Easter. Um, But the documentation online looks really magical. So maybe if you wanted to start off by kind of discussing some of the works that were featured in in the exhibition. I know you had a kind of a few um, immersive installations and you had some really quite delicate individual works. So maybe if you wanted to um, discuss some of those. Yeah, so... um... I suppose it's like similar to all my exhibitions in the sense that um, I try to find a way to activate architectural space, but then um, also to kind of negotiate social space um, and kind of associative space, I suppose. Um, So this one was quite specific in that it looked at, um, I guess, two particular entities that I see as being kind of inter-reliant or interconnected. Um, so the idea of landscape, um, landscape as a, like a pictorial space and a geographical space and a social space. Um, and then the, the idea of music um, uh, or kind of, I suppose, song more specifically. Interesting, the kind of idea of song as a, a form of kind of ritual celebration you know, as a mechanism to kind of confirm common bonds, but also to speak about, um, yeah, speak about social situations, I suppose. Yeah, trying to find a space where these, those sort of two things interact, basically. And um, like you said, it was a very ambitious show in the sense that it, um, yeah, negotiated uh, that space in lots of different ways, using mm-hmm. lots of different kind of formats. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was two film works. Um, the first one was called uh, Unlock Shul, which is um, translates from Irish as the walking people, yeah. um, which looked at the relationship between uh, Irish travellers and the Irish state, I suppose. Um, yeah, affected and impacted the kind of lives of these people, I suppose. Um, so I engaged in a, like a really big uh, kind of period of research looking at the kind of a 
yeah, socially constructed restrictions upon Irish travellers, and that, how, and specifically how that impacted the kind of relationship between, yeah, between settled people and travelled people, but particularly from the countryside, and the idea of these were people who had a very particular role within the rural economy, and how, um, yeah, the evolution of the Irish state kind of moved away from that, but also it had to do with, I guess, forms of industrialization. Um, Yes, is this so, your new? Is this your new film work? That's. Yeah. Um, I think I saw. I read somewhere that it's kind of structured around, or it uses this, the theatrical structure of a Greek tragedy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's 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 um it's a piece of text I wrote that follows the structure of a Greek tragedy, and I was interested in the idea of like dealing with tragedy as a concept, um, and the idea of like complex tragedy. So. Um, something that doesn't have a, a kind of Hollywood ending and um, something that doesn't have like a, a simple round off at the end, something that stays open. And um, I guess, uh, yeah, some of the kind of complications persist basically. So I wanted to kind of use that structure. Um, but having said that, it's, it's quite a, I suppose, a poetic interpretation of it and um, so um some of it's quite nostalgic and romantic and then some of it's much more um yeah kind of fact-based and uh kind of in your face so some of it's a little punky and some of it's much more um about enabling a kind of poetic space as a mechanism to speak about a social situation um even in terms of um just a the diverse kind of the different media that you're using. So where you're, you're, you're showing film work and moving image, but you're also kind of uh, contrasting that with more static uh, pieces of sculpture. Uh, for example, um, the piece that was in the upper gallery uh, with the dried flowers and the porcelain vases, I think you described that as a kind of indoor meadow. So there is probably a sense that, you know, in some of the works dealing with, ideas of kind of enclosure of landscape and enclosure and ownership of land maybe that kind of sculptural gesture is more about the commons and more about kind of a historical treatment of landscape um in terms of freedom every element although might not always seem so they're they're all interrelated um and yeah, yeah i became very interested in in um in certain kind of political movements that related to the land. So like I suppose the New Model Army and the levelers in, in, in the UK and how that kind of impacted the way we think about land. Um, both oh, like interesting. From, yeah. yeah mm. From a kind of geographical situation and then also from a social situation. Mm. Um, but I, I suppose the, the, the film uh, is also, it's, it's narrated with two horses. So it's just these two, very simple, just shot these two... Sh- black horses that are very similar but um just subtly different and which kind of was a mechanism to speak about i guess constructed difference mm-hmm. but also um all the songs are um were translated um into um the gammon basically well cant or yeah. linguists call it shelter but um you know what i mean um, mm-hmm. and then so it's kind of half sang, it's, it, and it's kind of half sang and half spoken, basically. And the reason I kind of had it um, sang was, I suppose, to acknowledge the kind of role that travellers played in the archiving of particular, um, I guess, traditional forms in terms of being like, yeah, retainers of song forms, but also instrumental forms, in particular like the, you know, the harp and um, kind of piping traditions. 
So it's, it's sang, but also it's sang in a language, half it's sang in a language that we, we can't understand. Um, and also in a language that's kind of dead, it's kind of dying um, in lots of ways. And so it, it kind of has this kind of purposeful confusion in it. So which actually is kind of socially constructed when you speak about Irish travellers, because it's actually a socially constructed confusing or, or misunderstanding uh, or a kind of a purposeful misinterpretation, if you like. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so they're the kind of characteristics that, that come together in the film. Um, also, it's like I shot it with, Podrick Cunningham, who's a friend and now like quite a persistent collaborator. We've shot yeah. um, two, two films together. Um, but then, they, um, yeah, there's, as you move up through the space, then there's, um, yeah, a whole bunch of work. Uh, there's a whole series of paintings that look at um, chromatics, so the relationship between um, uh, colour and sound. Um, so what I did was I picked a, a piece of a piano music that I wrote um, and translated into a, into a series of paintings, basically. So where these kind of colour forms or the amount of times um, a chord structure is engaged within a song kind of has an impact upon these painted works. Um, and that also kind of transferred to the colour spectrum in, um, in one of the kind of thread spectrum works, which are kind of more typical of what I do. Um, yeah, actually, there's already um, an existing permanent thread thread work in the Mac, isn't there? Um, yeah. Was that commissioned for the opening um, in 2012? Yeah, well, that was that was a very interesting process on lots of levels for me. Um, so, yeah, it was a commission, um, a permanent commission for the building. Um, and it was designed before the building was finished. So it was kind of interesting in that I got to work with the architects and engage with where light was going to be engaging with the, you know, the architectural space. So it was really interesting from that perspective. Uh, it's also a dual commission. So it's a commission from the MAC and also the Thomas Devlin Fund. And um, Thomas Devlin was a, a, a young um, Catholic boy who uh, was killed by a Protestant boy in the north of Ireland. And his mum and dad um, decided to kind of really, I suppose, act positively about his... Um, obviously, they wanted justice and they got justice, but they also wanted to have this kind of positive legacy of his life. So mm-hmm. they set up this foundation which funds um, a particular, like certain kind of artistic projects, basically. The remarkable people... Um, remarkable, the yeah, just remarkable on lots of levels. So it had to kind of have this dual purpose in that it had to, I guess, engage this particular architectural context in this contemporary museum, but also act as a, I guess, a positive kind of affirmation of this young man's life. So, um, so it has its kind of pressures from that perspective, but um, mm. uh, but I think everybody in, that was involved in it, it was a very careful negotiation and I think everybody's pleased with it. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's strange to have an exhibition in a space where you already have a permanent war. Given that there are kind of um, sonic components to this exhibition, I know that you, you actually had, um, as part of the indoor meadow um, in the upper gallery, you had uh, a sonic piece, a, a six a six hour score, a musical score, is that right? Um, yeah. Based on bird song. And in a way, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a premonition in terms of, you know, the levels of pollution and noise that have dropped since the, the shutdown. And the fact that when you open your back door, there's like a mini amphitheater of bird song and buzzing of insects. 
Um, so yeah, I suppose I just wanted to ask you about um, the, the sonic or musical or sound-based um, kind of element of your work. I know you do, you run kind of listening clubs and events as well. So um, I suppose I just wanted to ask you really um, about the act of listening and the prominence of sound in your wider practice as an artist. Yeah, so um, so yeah, it's, it's it's something that's always interested in me. Um, it's probably something I I engage with more than I do like visual arts. So I read about musicology, mm. I write about music quite a lot. Um, even when I was in my early days as a curator, I always released music as part of things. And yeah. I also kind of, I have a problem with the distinction. I have a problem with the idea of that we we call one thing one and we call the other thing the other thing and we fund one and we fund the other one. So I've, I've never seen a difference between them, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And I suppose it's, it's, um, it's music's kind of fluidity and kind of democracy that interests me. But yeah, so it was a nice way to kind of try and activate that space upstairs. And very interesting in terms of how it impacted the decisions around the other um, parts of the exhibition in that space. Um, so, yeah, like you said, I built a meadow. I had like about 450 pieces of ceramics and um, porcelain shells and um, they uh, hold, they become these kind of vases, I suppose, for um, uh, gypsophilia. Um, and I like gypsophilia from lots of levels. I like it that it's kind of a background um, flower in that it's a filler. It's not seen as ever the thing that's, a, that's foregrounded. So it kind of acts in a subtle way. Um, but also its common name is baby's breath. And I really like the idea of, um, yeah, of the flowers kind of breathing in it and kind of referencing voice, referencing the idea of like, yeah. So um, it's kind of interesting, the idea of like botanical naming, the idea of like giving something human qualities and the idea of like this flower be, being a baby's breath. There's something really like beautiful about that idea. Um, mm-hmm. And then the shells, the shells kind of act as a mechanism to speak about, I guess, the broader subject of the exhibition. So the idea of the earth acting as a shell and the earth acting as this kind of resonant vehicle, this thing that we kind of bounce off like physically and sonically, but also kind of socially. Yeah. So, and so the shells kind of worked in that way. There's also um, another kind of couple of pieces that sort of talk about, they talk about music, but they talk, they talk about music, but they talk about it through time, the idea of like enabled time or enabled space, basically. So they're, um, they're photographs, analog photographs, but they're taken from um, projections of moving image. So they're all um, imagery I took of landscape. So lots of different videos I took of landscape. And then I projected in a dark room and actually it captures, rather than capture just a split second, it captures over like three minutes of moving image into one still image. So again, becoming this kind of archive of time in the same way as recorded music is, the same way as like a CD or a vinyl record is a kind of container of time. Uh-huh. Yeah, and actually the plan had been to show about 10 of those basically along one wall. Um, but um, Hugh made a decision not to do that. She was really smart, actually. So there's one, it's an enormous space, but one wall is completely blank um, as a means of giving space to the sound. So it was a way to kind of enable the sound to kind of interact with the other, other elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another piece at the end of that wall, which is a... A very large piece and it's basically 
uh, something that replicates the kind of shape of a landscape um, and also is uh, is a, a canvas, basically. So it's this idea of like referencing the classical idea, idea of what a landscape is. But in the center of the work, it collapses and becomes more of like a curtain. So kind of references kind of performativity or the kind of virtuosity of like performance. So it's just kind of finding this way to kind of speak about two things in one sculptural form. So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, so I kind of like the, the way they all interact with each other. It's subtle in terms of the connections between things. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's quite a nice enabled space, like you say, to kind of try and build a, a meadow in, inside the gallery. Like when you asked me to do, when Hugh asked me to do the show two years ago, it was the first thing I wanted to do. And I sort of built everything around that um, idea of the meadow, basically. Um, so I did want to ask, ask you about your work as an educator. You've been working in DIT or TUD, Technological University Dublin, as it's known. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you whether... Um, the kind of formal mechanisms of education in terms of, um, you know, kind of critical thinking and mentorship and those types of things, whether they actually inform your work as an artist or maybe inform your values um, as an artist. Yeah, I suppose, uh, yeah, they do on loads of levels. Um, Mm. So, um, yeah, I suppose I I really enjoy teaching um, uh, and definitely makes me a better artist um, and I suppose it's because um, I suppose as a teacher you demand um, a lot of uh, like conceptual rigor and um, a lot of like working through processes um, with students so it would be remiss of me if I didn't follow that into my own practice. <laughs> um, That's true. Um, I suppose the thing is about teaching is that um, yeah, it's it's very social and social in 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 the, in terms of like um, how you pick up knowledge, I suppose. So it it's made me a much better student than I ever would have been as a student or as an artist who wasn't a teacher, <laughs> because you, you you basically have to engage with things you're not necessarily interested in, and those things like make you a better thinker fundamentally, um, but also kind of broaden your um, yeah your um, your outlook on things. But also, I guess the thing that you constantly have to think about as a teacher is what's the purpose of it? And so then you think about what's the purpose of artistic activity or being a visual artist. So, um, yeah, so it kind of keeps you on your toes in terms of um, having a particular kind of set of values or ethics that you transfer into your thinking all the time. And, um, yeah, so it's... um, it, it functions on lots of levels. And yeah, of course, um, it's made me a better researcher as well. So in terms of, uh, yeah, how I approach things. And so, yeah, so the, 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 each exhibition is kind of very deeply embedded in research and it probably wouldn't have been so much before I became a teacher. Um, and it's also to do with how you have to manage your time in terms of being a teacher and being a creative person. So, um, I have lots of this kind of commuting time. So you have to use that in a kind of useful way when you don't have the scope to make and when you don't have the scope to to be in the studio. It also makes you use your time a lot better in terms of how you prioritize things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also like just constantly stimulating. So the idea of like seeing new ideas happen all the time is is remarkable. Um, And of course, there's like administrationally frustrating things about teaching, but... um, 
in a general sense, I've always really enjoyed it. Um, and it's a challenge. You're kind of constantly challenged on things uh, intellectually and and from a kind of an ethical perspective. And that's a super healthy situation to be in. Um, I wanted to ask you just on the subject of research. I know you're you're doing a PhD by prior practice. At yes. What stage are you, are you at with that? Are you kind of in the middle of writing up your thesis or um, what stage are you at at the moment? Yeah, so I'm at the end of writing up my thesis. So mm. if you imagine it's there's like five parts, I'm on the four and a half bit. Brilliant. Uh, okay, well, I won't ask you any details about what the work's about or any of that stuff because it's it's a delicate stage probably. Um, no, no, it, it's, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Like the, yeah, so it's, so, so it's like there's, it's 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 been a really interesting process on lots of levels actually just in terms of that ideas of like yeah clarifying your value structure mm-hmm. it's interesting in that it can't be concurrent work it has to be work from like five years ago or backwards basically oh really more than five years old yeah and that's the, the whole idea of it being like you know um prior Ret- retrospective kind of impulse to kind of look back over and and see connecting themes and um, so do you think that that actual mechanism or that process of looking back has uh, given you um, a kind of or helped you assemble a critical framework for your practice that you might kind of um, be able to draw on in, in the future? Yeah. To clarify. Anything? Yeah, like, yeah, no, definitely. It's funny because um, um it's interesting now when I do artist talks or tours of exhibitions um there's definitely parts that that come up that didn't exist before before I started to um yeah to look back on things you, essentially what you're doing is like like structuring a critical framework around things that have already existed and um and mine's actually um I suppose directly engages with things that are still really relevant in the practice so there's yeah. c- certain kind of characteristics to do with slowness and uh, modesty and complexity. So the idea of like, yeah, uh, enabling particular type of interactions or situations basically. And so um, all of the work is looked at through that lens. So at the moment I'm looking at the film aspects of my practice um, and I'm kind of looking at it through the lens of uh, slow cinema. And I suppose that one of the kind of continuities throughout the PhD is the idea of politics or ethics being subtly embedded so that they're not being foregrounded. Um, and the idea of, yeah, subtlety and slowness um, and modesty in the sense as a, as a mechanism to kind of work, uh, work in a kind of counter to ideas of sensation um, and, uh, yeah, complexity as a kind of mechanism to look at in an oppositional sense from to... Um, the kind of dumbing down of the world that's happened over sort of 500 years, I suppose. Um, but particularly in terms of how we are kind of, you know, industrial capitalism has engaged with language. So as a way to kind of work in opposition to that, I'll keep it at that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the final question I want to ask you really was about um, publishing more broadly, but I know yeah. you've published or you've produced um, a new book for this exhibition at the MAC which yeah. maybe the launch will have to be postponed a bit now um, yeah. with all the galleries closed. But um, I suppose I just wanted to ask you um, in publishing books and monographs and, and catalogues, 
um, whether you're kind of situating your work in current critical discourse or whether you're thinking more about the longer archival trajectory um, in terms of like the value of publishing. Yeah. So I've always been a big fan of um, of publishing um, on lots of levels, but I also had some kind of problems with it. And I have a problem with some problems with the particular types of, I guess, styles of artist books, I suppose. Um, and particularly the ones that kind of function specifically for the marketplace. Um, and uh, so when this opportunity came up, yeah. So I think the publications uh, are a mechanism to speak about uh, a current moment, basically, because they, they kind of... Uh, engage in particular value structures that I think are important, basically. Um, so this one, rather than being a kind of a, a about, isn't Mark Gary's art great? Um, let's all write nice things about it. Um, this looks at the kind of research position of the exhibition um, and kind of engages critical texts around that. So this idea of landscape and song and the ways in which they interact Obviously, you've written two beautiful texts um, for it, and um, everybody's taken quite different approaches to it. Um, and I suppose the what I did in terms of how well I've always worked as a writer. I'd like to, I suppose, to continue to write and write more. Um, and before I sort of kind of yeah, I wrote in a very particular way, and um, this is a much more um, I suppose academic way to kind of approach a subject from a writing style perspective and I sort of did try and implicate the research positions and some of the elements that kind of drove me towards particular decisions in terms of the art making but also there's things that are I'm very interested in that the others or other writers didn't engage with so my text is probably too long in the sense that it tries to do too much but um so yeah I suppose I do hope that it becomes a it's a relevant document in terms of like broadening a discourse about particular types of practice. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of all up in the air. I just wanted to briefly say about the publication, it's a collaboration as well, actually, not just a collaboration with all the very kind writers, but also it's a cl- collaboration with a colleague, um, Louise Reddy, who, um, who I actually went to college with. We did a postgrad together in Dunleary, um, and we've been colleagues for a number of years. So it's a kind of a collaboration between, between both of us. So a lot of the kind of flow and typographical treatment and a lot of the conceptual approaches are actually driven by like Louise. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's, 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 it's again, another example of like collaboration, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's why it feels so nice in terms of how the things flow is to do with like Louise. And she, again, really kind of embraced the, the subject of the exhibition, but also, um, I guess, the kind of diversity of approach in terms of how I go about things. So it's not just, um, yeah, so it's multidimensional in terms of the types of texts, which I suppose is reflective of the exhibition in some way. So, and also in terms of how she treated the flow and typography of things, and also some of the kind of, um, yeah, the decisions around the imagery that went in. So, because she put like, she put like notebooks uh, images in, which I didn't like at all initially. And then these kind of just photographs I take as kind of process things. So it's kind of nice in that it reveals some of the actual thinking about things that didn't actually manifest as artworks. And I, I suppose it's just the idea of um, when you document a show, of course, it's really nice to document things and to have these archives. But it, they kind of they kind of kind of outlive their usefulness 
for a period and then after obviously after a longer period they become much more useful for for academics or um yeah in lots of positions so to re-look re at a practice so to, to 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 write a book or to, to structure a book that that's kind of that's relevant now but also can be relevant in the future is what i was trying to do yeah and i suppose to try and remove somewhat remove my ego from it and um, so my ego is all over it obviously but and um, <laughs> but but you know to somewhat do that so that it's a useful document outside of my practice if you know what i mean mm. Um, mm. or an interesting document outside of my practice you have been listening to the On The Scene Shows, a podcast series by Visual Artists Ireland. A printed version of this interview with installation images from the exhibition will be published in the July-August issue of the Visual Artist News Sheet. These podcast interviews will be published every two weeks on SoundCloud. In the next podcast, we will hear from Neil Carroll about his solo exhibition, The Brock Inspector, presented at the RHA. Special thanks to our production editor, Chris Steenson, for audio editing and the music for the podcast. <laughs>